26 years. That's awesome. That's very rare in this day and age for a pastor to be at one church for so long. Praise the Lord. He is married to his lovely wife, Diane, and they've been married for 41 years. Yes. They've been blessed with three children and nine grandchildren. Yes. And, um, and seven of those grandchildren live in this area, so that's kind of nice. But a couple live in Memphis. They're taking a trip next weekend to go see them as well. We've been blessed year after year after year after year to have Pastor Joe come and give us the word. I emailed him this last time and was telling him every time I email, I'm afraid that it's going to be that one weekend. Like if it would have been next weekend that we probably would have missed out on them because they're going to see the grandkids. So I'm always nervous that he's going to email back and be like, I can't do it this year. But God has been gracious, always works it out because he always brings us an amazing word. Please help me welcome Pastor Joe Braden. Thank you, Pastor Bond. And it is always a joy uh, for Diane and I to come back and hang out with you guys and uh, to be invited back. I never assume that I will be invited back. And... Um, uh, particularly, um, uh, you've, uh, I, I'm just assuming this was the beginning of the end. You've asked me to, to uh, preach on giving. And um, I think that was just kind of your subtle way of saying, you're done. Uh, and <laughs> but if you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, when Pastor Bond invited me to speak again this year, um, I, uh, I just immediately said, yes, I will gladly come and gather with you guys. Uh, and after I said yes, um, my mind went straight to First um, Chronicles chapter 29. And that's where it's been and, uh, up to this point. And uh, so we'll spend our moments together here in this passage. I want to begin by reading verses 10 through 20 of First Chronicles chapter 29. And um, uh, if you would like to, if you're able, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. This is God's word for us this morning during this hour. And God says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you, have ex you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in, your, it is, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly 
For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all of these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the, assi- all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the King. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. And Father, we're grateful that we would have these moments together, uh, that we could spend some time looking to you looking to you through your word. And so our prayer is that you would show us wonderful things. That you would be at work in our midst, even as it was the Spirit who moved upon the chronicler to write these words. We would pray that now that same Spirit would be moving in our midst and in our hearts to be transformed by these words. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about when giving is worship. When giving is worship. Now I know uh, at moments in church life, the subject of giving is often reduced down to simply the practical budgetary concerns. We've got to make budget this year. Uh, And that drives how we think about and how we even appeal to God's people uh, to give. A few years back, I think it was probably more than a few years back, but um, it all blurs together after a while. Um, 26 years of pastoring is really like 106 in (laughs) pastor years, I think. But... um, uh, but a few years back, we were, we were struggling with some budget issues, and we were trying to put together a new budget for a new year, and so we, we called a family meeting, just kind of all the church get together and think about this and talk about this, and, uh, and uh, overall, that was just really discouraging, uh, uh, and, and, and one thing that stood out that probably made it very disheartening is um, um, uh, someone said, well... The, the, the problem is we need more people uh, because um, those people need the Lord and we need their money. 
that. Oh, Lord, please don't, us, don't let us look at people as mere giving units. Uh, let us see those as, as souls that need Jesus. Uh, so we want to think about giving in terms of worship and suspend for a moment whatever functional or practical monetary concerns that we might have on the matter of, of giving. Three things I, I want us to think about as we kind of move through giving. And um, uh, did, uh, I didn't look at, the, at your notes. Did, did those, those three points make it into your notes? Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, you know more than I do then. So um, uh, first, I, I want us to think about um, from our passage, giving is worship when the generosity of God forms our celebrations. So in other words, we want, to talk about, we want to talk about an awareness of God. Second, giving is worship when gratitude for the Lord informs our considerations. So we want to have an awareness of ourselves in proper relationship to the Lord. And then third, giving is worship when grace from the Lord reforms our convictions. We want to have an awareness of others, even as we have an awareness of ourselves in light of the Lord. Now, the context here, um, Solomon is about to become king. As First Chronicles is wrapping up, Second Chronicles is kicking in, uh, we're on the eve of Solomon becoming king. Uh, David's um, successor, Solomon, um, is um, going to build a temple for the Lord. Uh, it won't be David who will build it. Solomon will oversee that temple. And yet here in this passage, we see something of uh, David's effort, the great personal sacrifice uh, that David leads out in to get things ready. He has already secured the property site. Uh, he has uh, acquired many of the materials that will go into the construction of the building. Uh, he has lined up much of the work, the workers and the supplies, so that in the hopes that uh, Solomon's project will come to fruition. Earlier in this same chapter, for instance, just making note of, of uh, uh, David's giving, we're, we're, we're told there in verses 2 and 3 something of, the, of the, the amount of giving on David's part. Verse 4, for instance, uh, he gave 3,000 talents of gold, uh, 7,000 talents of refined silver. Uh, if we were to translate that out... It was probably about a, over a hundred tons of gold. I mean, we, we, not we, people measure. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have any gold. I don't think, but, uh, but uh, people measure gold in ounces. But here we're measuring it in tonnage. So, um, uh, over two hundred and thirty-five tons of refined silver. That's that's not counting the other things that that uh, he had a hand in. Uh, such as precious stones and whatnot, they had a hand in um, uh, compiling to have there uh, for the building supply list. But, but our passage is not simply a report of a building 
project, nor is it simply a narrative about building a temple in order that worship might eventually occur in that temple. No, no, the, certainly the end result of the temple project is worship, but I would suggest to you that it is the process itself that is narrated in this passage that includes worship. There is a view to worship once the temple gets here, and, 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 and yet even in the construction process uh, for the temple, to which worship would occur, worship is already occurring. Three things I, I would like to say, and I've already noted those for you, but we'll work our way through those one at a time. These three things, I think, are derived from this passage that helps us to see that worship didn't have to wait until the building was done, that, that worship went into the building of the temple. And I, I hope that that helps me. I hope that helps you. I hope that helps us to know how we might worship the Lord through giving. For it is, it is not the, the tonnage, it is not the amount of stuff that David and, and others, there's other lists there as well, gave that makes this passage pertinent to worship. It is, it is what is under the hood, if you would. It is the attitudes and the perspectives and the convictions and the commitments of the hearts of David and the people that helps inform us that this is a worship text. First, giving is worship when the generosity of the Lord forms our celebration. Particularly, we see this in verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Um, this, this, these verses um, are a record of worship. Do you see that? David blessed the Lord and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. And in your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength. And now we give thanks to you, O Lord, and praise your name. Might we even just suggest that that there is an explosion of worship? You say, now, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what was the tune? I mean, what, I mean, was that a Bethel song? Uh, I point that out. Not simply because I'm snarky. <laughs> Though you can ask Diane, I am. Uh, I'm still hoping that somehow it's a fruit of the Spirit, but I haven't quite found that yet. Uh, we can, we should connect music, singing, songs, to the worship of God. It is a distinctly Christian thing. Sing to the Lord, all of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. 
but we must also have a bigger definition of worship. That we see worship not just limited to or restricted to singing and songs and worship. In fact, was, is it doable? Is it possible that, that we could do this thing called worship and there be no music, no songs at, at all whatsoever? That's what we've got to have a handle on. That's what we've got to see from this passage. David has exploded, ignited in worship, and I don't think there's any lyrical um, arrangement to what's going on here. It's okay if there would be. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying that he has a bigger category than maybe most of us. And I point that out because um, just, if you would, just um, doze off for a second. And, and, well, okay, now we're done with that. But anyway, but, 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 but think back for a second. Uh, as, as to how, if, if you were to n- narrate some of your own stories, like what, what, were the, what have been the most um, worshipful moments in my life? And, and I think many of us, and, and that's cool, that's fine, but many of us would certainly inject, well, when I heard that song, or when we sang that song in that context. I, I think that's great. That, it's all a part of the makeup of our of, of what the scriptures say to us about the sweet, blessed role of music and singing and songs in worship. And, 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 and yet, and you don't have to blurt it out loud, but, but if you were to think about the three, four, five, six, seven moments in your story that you said, now that was worship. I, I, I would suggest that probably for many of us, it just consists of worship through music and songs and singing. No, no that's, not, that's, that's not wrong. It's just not complete. It's like worship through giving. You know, I, I, I get it. I get where we could say worship through singing. I get that. So Justice, you know, he had like the softball one this morning, you know. <laughs> Duh. You know, that's why I think you guys hate me. You gave me this one. You know, it's like, you know, give him this one. He won't come back again. You know, but, uh, but and, 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 even, and even later, a brother will, will talk to us about worship through preaching. Yes. In fact, in fact, we, 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 we would be wise to realize that, okay, now that the singing is done, what do we do with the preaching? Yeah. And, and sometimes we think, well, the worship has just stopped. <laughs> now this guy's going to open the word. And let there not be worship in that. Uh, uh, but, you know, but, but how do we, how do we factor in um, to worship as giving? I would suggest to you, in fact, the first time that the, the, a cluster of words that we know to be worship is used in the Bible is actually in the account of Genesis, in Genesis, where Abraham's taking his son up to the mountain. And his son wants to know what we're doing. He says, we're going to worship. What song did they sing? <laughs> okay, I, I beat that into the point. Um, let me give then what I think might be helpful. And I say this to say, I, I, 
would suggest it probably all weekend long. Each speaker is going to touch on this one way or the other. But, and, um, uh, but, uh, uh, but let me give you something of a functional or working definition of worship. Because um, I think if we figure that out, then we can take the next step and figure out then how giving connects with that. Um, but, um, and, and I say this to say I, I, that on the one hand, um, my prayer is that I won't confuse you. My prayer is that, it, that if multiple descriptions of worship are given this weekend, that that won't confuse you. In fact, what I would suggest to you is that there's going to be variance here. Just look for the reoccurring th- themes and uh, uh, just probably maybe hang out on the reoccurring themes. Um, but, but first of all, um, let me give you some lines that I, that I think help, would help build a, a perspective on, on worship. First of all, worship is a response to the Lord. And the word response, in my opinion, is really important. In other words, worship is not something that we initiate. Worship is not something that we have to manufacture or whoop up. Um, worship is a, I'm going to add to this, so worship is a response to the Lord. Worship is a response to the Lord, uh, to that which the Lord has revealed about himself. So the initiator of worship is always the Lord. He delights in revealing himself to his people. And uh, worship is the thing that occurs when after he delights to reveal himself to his people, his people delight in that revelation. So worship is a response to what the Lord has revealed about himself, uh, whether it be about who he is, and we see that here in this passage, in a sense, uh, David is just mimicking here in these words, 10 through 13, what the Lord has shown him about himself. I mean, where did David get this stuff? Uh, it, it, well, this is what the Lord has shown to him. And so he's just responding by, by, by bringing it back up again and, and, and attributing these things, acknowledging these things, declaring these things, celebrating these things to be true because this is what God has told David he's like. So it's a response to what the Lord has revealed um, uh, about himself, about who he is and about what he is about. It's a response in which the, it's a response to what the Lord has revealed, him, revealed about himself that acknowledges, that declares, and that celebrates so that the worth or the worthiness is directed toward who this God is who has revealed himself and what it is God has revealed about what he is up to. So worship is this interplay between revelation and response. God reveals himself and we respond. When we see uh, what God has said about himself and about what he's up to, then, then that becomes, if you would, the launch code that ignites us to declare, acknowledge, and celebrate who he is and what he's about. Let me add another feature to that. So, worship is a response. It's a response to the Lord, uh, to that which the Lord has revealed about himself. It's a response to that which the Lord has revealed about himself um, that acknowledges, declares, and celebrates that, resp- that revelation. It's a response to the Lord in which he revealed about himself that seeks to entail all that we are, body and soul, 
Remember Jesus said in Matthew 11, I believe it was, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So that was body, but not soul, if you would. Uh, so uh, true worship is a response that is, um, comes from the soul, but is expressed through the body. It, in, it entails our thoughts, our affections, our will, uh, not mere, merely an emotional thing, but it entails much more than that. It's, it entails our head, our hands, our hearts, our voices. It, 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 it involves whether we are here uh, or where, whether we are there. Where, wherever there is, that can be a context, a platform for worship. We, in other words, worship is not, a, is not restricted to a certain uh, GPS locator on a, on a map. It, it, because we, we're always uh, it, it living in response to uh, the Lord and how he has revealed who he is and what he is about. Uh, and it, it, it entails uh, a whole range of emotions. When, when we're happy, we can thank and praise the Lord. When we're sad, we can thank and praise the Lord. And when we're a combination of both and we feel like we're going crazy, uh, we're, we're both sorrowful yet rejoicing, we can thank and praise the Lord. So David's giving... In that context, David's giving is a response. David is giving because of who he sees the Lord is. He's giving because his jaw has dropped and he's taking in the great, glorious generosity of his God. I say that uh, David is being driven by what he has been shown. David is driven by what he sees about who God is and about what God is up to. And we, and we see the, the stacked on top of each other language that acknowledges and declares and celebrate who God is and what he has done. Now, a little sidebar in our conversation. So, the common question in uh, evangelical churches in North America is, um, well, uh, what technique should churches employ to increase giving? To which I would suggest that maybe even framing it that way um, is maybe built on a couple of flawed assumptions. Uh, first assumption is, um, uh, are you really sure that the Lord wants your church is giving to increase? I mean, have you actually sought him about that and asked him for that? I, I, I say that, not that I'm opposed to your churches, especially my church, increases increase in giving, especially my church, you know. Uh, but, but I'm saying that we have to make sure uh, that we're, we're, we're not living as citizens of this world where we just think everything is great and big and loud. So how do we know God's at work? It's great and big and loud. Sometimes it's just really ordinary and boring and mundane and routine. Quiet. 
Second assumption to the question, what techniques should churches employ to increase giving? Second, maybe possible flawed assumption is, um, are you sure that it's a matter of technique? What technique was manipulatively, manipulatively, I wish I could say that word, manipulatively, well, what word, uh, what, what technique was used to cajole David into giving? Are you kidding me? What trick was used to uh, snooker him into giving? Really? He's just seen God. God has revealed to him who he is and what he's about. And, and, and David is enthralled about that. David is captivated by that. David is compelled to give because of that. If the Lord does want our giving to increase in our churches, it's not a matter of technique. It's a matter of how do we hold out this God, our God, the God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus, by the Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This God, this God who is great and glorious and generous. And until we see that, until, until that then uh, informs our hearts and souls, then, then, then we, we won't know how to worship through giving. We'll just have to, have to go back to technique. And tricks. I got to move on. Second, primarily from verses 14 uh, through 16, giving is worship when gratitude for the Lord informs our considerations. I don't know if you've noticed it, but the, sh the, the focus shifts here. All, uh, in verses 10 through 13, it's been, it's been all about the Lord, his greatness, his generosity who he is and what he's about. And, 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 and now for a minute, David's going to talk about himself. And yet it's, what is so instructive is how David talks about himself. I mean, I'm just saying that um, later today when the Spirit of God moves on your heart and you bring in 100 tons of gold to this church, <laughs> 235 tons of refined silver, not to mention the precious stones that you're bringing as well. Don't you think they ought to put a plaque up with your name on it? <laughs> Just saying. But notice how David talks about himself. Verse 14, but, but who am I? Almost reminiscent of, I think of, I think of Psalm 8, you know. Uh, but who, who am I and, and, and well, who are these guys? Who, who, are my, who are my people? That we should be able to, uh, to thus offer willingly. For all things come from you. We're not giving you a thing that you don't already have. We're not giving you a thing that you've not first given to us. David is aware of himself. Uh, but he's not overly impressed with himself. David doesn't say, now, now, I've surveyed the history of the Jewish religion, and the best I could figure, there's only been three great givers in the history of the Jewish religion. 
And uh, I don't know, which one of those three do you think I am? Yeah. Yeah. One time I was talking about my preaching, and I was, just, I was just kind of ruminating that, you know, I wonder how many great preachers there are in the world, to which Diane said, one less than you think. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, is there a security team here? I, I'm going I'm to need some support here. Back up in a minute, so... Um, it is hard to be enthralled with and captivated by the Lord and ourselves at the same time. So David is aware of himself. But David's not said, now let's go back and look verses 3 and 4 again. Did, you, did, anyone, did anyone write this down, how many tons of gold I gave? I just, just want to make sure you all got that. Because the last I checked, it was probably more gold than y'all gave. Just saying. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's just not even the, traject- to the, the direction that that conversation is going in. I was going to say trajectory, but I can't say that word. But, um, and, 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 in other words, David is aware of himself. He's just not altogether impressed with himself. He understands that he's the one giving, but he understands the context for that giving. He's giving because he's in love with and thralled by, captivated toward a God who has given him every single thing that he is now giving back to the Lord. It's hard to promote ourselves and brag about ourselves and promote the Lord and brag about the Lord together. We really have to figure out which one's going to be promoted and bragged about. And that, that's hard because I'm, uh, preachers are being told, man, you've got to build a brand. And um, sadly, most of the branding that preachers promote of themselves uh, are more branding of themselves than of our great and glorious and generous God. Listen to what Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 9. He says... Uh, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness. Yes, we're to be boasters, but not of self. And and here on this glorious moment when the the light could be shed on David and his awesomeness, David is deflecting any conversation of his own personal awesomeness. He said, what what have I given that's not been given to, to me? David gives worshipfully because David is giving humbly. Paul wrote to, the, to try to sort out all of the arrogant, prideful hubris at the church at Corinth. And he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you've not received? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 
my money, my stuff, my life, and God's trying to snooker me out of it. If that's where you're at, that's okay. Well, it's not okay, but it's okay for, it's okay for a second here. We're just going to take it where it's at, which is where the Lord uh, fi- finds us. Um, uh, uh, see, this thing about giving um, is, is not such a big deal because um, uh, Jesus needs something from us. Um, you, you, you don't need to give anything to God to improve him or to uh, be the linchpin that moves his kingdom forward. In, in fact, I, my prayer, my hope that if we are sitting here this morning thinking, my money, my life, my stuff, and then you sing, we shall not be moved. Well, that's not a worship song, is it? But uh, Then what you need is you need to see reality. You, you need to revisit who Jesus is and what he did and the difference that is to make in our life. For you gather here this morning and with a notion of my money, my stuff, my life, quite honestly, I, I say this with concern and yet with respect, you sit there and you act like an orphan who has no father to provide for you or protect you or to take care of you. So you are, you, are not, you are not seeing what you can see through faith in Jesus. That through faith in Jesus, if you were to turn to Jesus this morning, then you would see that Jesus places you in a relationship with God as your father. A good father who loves his sons and daughters in the love and joy of the Holy Spirit. You, 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 you are, what you are not seeing this morning is you are not seeing that God's love is displayed in His giving. His only begotten Son, while we were yet sinners, while we were unlovely to Him, He initiated a love rescue. In other words, God loves you, not because he finds loveliness in you. He loves you because he finds loveliness in his son. And he loves you in his son. And the good news is, is that while though he finds no innate loveliness in you and I, when he loves us in his son, he creates the very loveliness that he desires for us. So turn to Jesus. 
Just ignore what I'm saying about giving. Just rejoice that we have a God who is great in his generosity, who gives to us so that we would become his children and who floods our hearts and souls by his spirit, sheds it abroad, we're told, with the very love of God through the work of the cross. The God, God brought you here not to, not to get you to give anything. God brought you here that you would receive eternal life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would experience adoption as sons, that, that you would be given the, the permanent indwelling gift of the Spirit of God, that He would love you even in your unloveliness, but refuse to leave you as unlovely. We have a God who gives. And David sees himself in all of that proportionality. He sees himself that, that yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm given, but, but man, I'm, I'm given because um, uh, my circuits are overblown. God has given richly, abundantly to me. And there's a third thing that I want to point to before we finish up and wrap up. Giving is worship when grace from the Lord reforms our convictions. And really, it's this, this third movement. It started out with an awareness of God. He saw God as great and generous. And, and then an, an awareness of himself. Um, not altogether impressed with that. Yeah, he's giving, but he's only giving that which he received. Uh, and that has informed his considerations about himself. Uh, this, is, this is not a moment in which David is promoting David. This is a moment in which David is praising the God who gives to him and now is giving through him. And, and the third movement is David shifts to a third perspective here uh, that helps inform when giving is worship. And that is David's uh, direction. Particularly this is seen in verse 19. His, his direction is toward others. It's seen in his prayer, but it's seen in all of the giving that's gone up to this praying. Who does he, who does he pray for? Who, who's, what does he pray about? Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. The word grace that I've used in this third point, I, 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 let me parse that out for a second here. Um, when we think of the word grace, and this is a good thing to think about, I hope you think about this first thing, but I want to maybe push on you and stretch you and get you to think about another thing or two as well. But when we think about grace, we, we think about the unearned, undeserved favor that, of, what, of what God has done for me. We think of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace through faith you have been saved. It is a, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, we th when we think about the grace of God, we think, my, God in Christ by his spirit has given me something I didn't deserve and I haven't earned. He has given me a grace, a salvation. And that's good. Lock into that. Uh, you've got to know this one before we move on to the next one. Uh, but right after Ephesians 2 comes what chapter? Ephesians 3. Man, you, 
guys are tracking. Yeah, I was a pop quiz. I didn't tell you in advance I was going to ask that. But uh, it's interesting. And I, what I suggest to you is that Paul uses the notion of grace in, in, in a slightly different way, an expanding way. So on the one hand, he certainly sees in chapter 2, grace is what God has done for me in Christ by his spirit. But he expands on that in chapter 3, and he uses the same notion of grace to describe not what God has done for me, unearned and undeserved, uh, but he describes what God is now doing through him. If you would, grace is, de is described as the task or the assignment that God has now called David to perform. Let me read uh, Ephesians 3, uh, a uh, couple of verses one and two. He says there, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So here in the context in Ephesians 3, Paul is describing his ministry. He's not describing how he got into right relationship with God. He's now describing the work that he's now called to do, the task, the, the assignment, if you would, that he's now called to do so that the Gentiles might come to understand this unearned, undeserved favor of God that brings about salvation. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and he, then you kind of have a little sidebar here, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that he has given to me for you. In that context, the notion of grace there, it's, it's something that God has given to Paul, not pertaining to Paul's salvation, but, but pertaining to the stewardship of Paul's work to bring salvation to others. So it is grace that brings you to Jesus, and it is grace that uses you to bring others to Jesus. That's the point I'm trying to make. And so at the end of the day, we don't say... No, we praise Jesus, that, that maybe I bumbled and fumbled my way through uh, telling somebody about Jesus, and they're like, yeah, I want Jesus. You do? In light of what I just said? You know, yeah. Uh, what, what accounts for that? The, the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, that, that he, uses, he uses bumblers and fumblers. It's all he's got anyway. Uh, he uses imperfect, flawed people. That's all he's got to work with anyway. And, 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 and that process by which he uses us to, to care for, to serve, to take care of, to give to others is called a grace. So giving is worship when grace from our Lord reforms our convictions. In other words, so where, what is David's conviction here at this moment? Oh God, grant to my son, if you would, success in these purposes, faithfulness in these purposes. His focus has shifted. He's turned toward others. He says something, I, I'll, I'll mention this, I won't be able to go, but it's something in verse 17. I, I know my God, back in First Chronicles 29, verse 17. I know my God that, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. What, what, how, do, how, how, how do we think about this test thing? What, what, is the, what is the test? Our giving does not provide for God. 
He doesn't need anything. The test here is how clearly we see who Christ is and what he has done and how eagerly are we to live in light of that. Again, another facet of giving. I mean, I mean, another facet of worship. Worship is not simply how loud you can sing a song, although sing it loud. Another way to demonstrate the reality of God's grace in our life is how committed we are to care and to give aid to others. You see, we have to make sure there's never like this uh, psychotic break from reality where we could gather in this room and sing about the love of Jesus and then leave this room and be impervious to the needs of our brothers and sisters and the people around us. There's a huge disconnect on that one. The, this Jesus whose love we praise and sing about as we are in this room is now the, the, the praise that is to transform us to, so that now we are the people who are, by the grace of God, demonstrating the loving care of Jesus in practical, functional, earthy, down-to-earth, practical ways. Worship is never just a, a, a conceptual, emotional experience. Worship is a concrete commitment of way of life toward others. David's burden here is on his son and of what's going to happen after him and, and, and that his son has whatever he needs. And that's the test. The test is, do I rejoice in the grace of God because it makes me feel special? Or do I, I rejoice in the grace of God because it comes to someone like me and it is so transformative that it gives me the desire to want to make other people feel special? You didn't need any grace to want to feel special about yourself. You were born that way. I'm telling you, though, it takes a great amount of generous grace to turn you and I around so that the supreme focus of our lives is not our belly button, but the concerns and needs of others. That's when you know Jesus is in the house. And I'll wrap up with this. On the one hand, when we look at this passage, I have, and this is how I've preached it, I've said that David is a giver. And um, really what I've said is, you and I can learn a thing or two about David's giving. 
about what happened under the hood, about his awareness of God, about his awareness of, his awareness of himself, about his awareness of others, that, that he, he, wanted, he wanted to give out of a sense of worship of God. He wanted to give because he was just flooded with gratitude for how God has given to him, and he wanted to give because he wanted to be an instrument of grace in, uh, toward others, toward other causes, causes outside of him. And so on the one hand, I'm just simply saying, so go and do what David did. And that's true. The writer Romans tells us that these things were written, speaking of the Old Testament, to leave us an example, to know how we should live. And, uh, and, yet, and yet, on the other hand, the direct application of this passage is not merely David gave, so you should give too. David gave not merely as an example, but David gave as a preview. A preview of coming glorious, wonderful attractions of things to come. His is a preview of his ultimate and final son who would come to give. Who would come to give that just like David gave for the benefit of his son Solomon and for the sake of the nation of Israel, so the Lord Jesus gives not for his own sake, but for the sake of his little brothers and sisters, all who would turn to Christ and find in Christ all of the blessings and bounty that the Father has for the children whom he loves. That Christ is the ultimate display of this passage. That this is the God who has previewed himself through the giving of David. That you and I worship a God who is a giver, not a taker. And even that which he requires from us, it is only that which he has given first to us. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what you have showed to us, shown to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ mostly. That while we were bankrupt and blind and broke and dead and impoverished and had no capital uh, to get out of that enslavement. While we were cut off from uh, a holy God, in fact, while we were at enmity with the only one true God, while we were justly condemned, while the very justice of God hung over our heads, while the very curse of God was laid upon us. We are grateful that you have given your Son for us and for our salvation, that we could gather and that we could see the Lord Jesus in all of his loving, giving beauty, and that we could be enthralled and captivated by a God who gives. And so, Father, whatever it is that we give... It's because we are a people who have been well taken care of. And we thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray.